Want an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news and trends in the NBA? Listen to the NBA Daily Ding podcast Monday through Friday. Wake up and turn up the NBA Daily Ding to stay informed on all things NBA here at The Athletic and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Athletic NBA Show. Monday through Friday on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. For this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Panic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Oh, right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention Dean's anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Yeah, I don't think I tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I am Sam Amick coming to you on location from the NBA Finals in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, overlooking the Milwaukee River on a quiet Monday morning. The Bucks last night made this thing a series, guys. I'm here as always with Fred Katz, Anthony Slater. The Bucks now down 2-1, to one, 120 to 100, game three win. Giannis Antetokounmpo. As our David Aldridge had wrote last night so well, as always, is doing special stuff, 40-plus point performances in consecutive finals games. On today's pod, we're also going to talk uh, Team USA a little bit. Mr. Slater is kind of, you know, having a hybrid of his Warriors hat with uh, the Team USA coverage, uh, you know, when he's taking a break from Suns coverage on the finals. And then, Mr. Katz, you've got a coaching search going on with the Wizards that, that who knows, might intersect with, with that other topic as well. So we'll get into all that. But, the guys, I'm here in Milwaukee. Um, last night was crazy. I'll be honest, I've been in Milwaukee plenty of times over the years, but pretty intermittently. You know, West Coast-based writer. During my Kings beat writing days, of course, it would be a one-trip-a-year type thing. I looked it up last night. The last time I was here was 2019 in the middle of December. Uh, it was cold. It was, you know, somewhat miserable. And the fan element was certainly not what it was when you host a finals game for the first time in 47 years. So, and this is what I wrote about last night. I mean, we're talking fireworks after the game. We're talking chaos, fans everywhere. This place is partying like they're Vegas. I'm not kidding. Like, I'm, I'm losing sleep because you go to bed. I don't know. I don't know, Sam. I was in Vegas for the McGregor fight this weekend and, and concerts <laughs> all over the city. Um, I don't I, I'm not yet ready. I know Milwaukee's getting up, but you should have seen Vegas this week. Fair enough. But you know what Vegas doesn't have? It does not have a river cutting through the middle of downtown and booze boats. Uh, it's great because during the day, like right now, it's very it's very innocent and very, you know, holistic where you have kayaks with fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, you know, going down the river at night, you have these boats where people are just drinking like crazy pumping music until two o'clock in the morning. Um, they, you know, I listen the hotel I'm at. Yeah, the, only two, yeah, only two is not being well, Vegas, thankfully. Though. And hopefully it's not coming through on the podcast. Thankfully I have an air conditioning unit that is so loud that it, it drowns out some of the, the partying. Uh, but yeah, man, the scene, was insane uh and it was fun i mean you guys know the routine we don't root in these series we root for good stories we want to have something to get into 
So, you know, we joke in the media and we're a little bit jaded where it's like, ah, let's go sons. You can sweep so I can get home and be sleeping in my own bed again, but we want good stories. And to see the Bucks fans in this city be on fire in, in the best of ways because of that win and them having hope again was, was admittedly a lot of fun to watch. What do you Is mean? this what the Bucks do now? Come I mean, back? they are they the new Clippers? They they fell down 2-0 to yeah, they came back down down not just down 2-0 to the Nets, right? I mean, they they lost by a million and seven in game two. We were talking on this podcast a couple of weeks ago about coaching changes that were potentially coming and <laughs> and who would and that, that wasn't thing. just falling down. That wasn't just falling down 2-0. It was the way they fell down 2-0. Like we were speaking passively, aggressively, as if we were offended by having to go through that viewing experience, you know? And uh now they fall down 2-0. They come back home and uh and they have this this, you know, really well played performance in Milwaukee. Maybe, maybe the Bucks have outclippered the Clippers. The Kyrie uh, ankle twist changed that series. You know, Phoenix hasn't had something like that. Uh, you know, they did lay a dud. I, I mean, this is very much a series, obviously. But I do think injury shifted that net series from where I think it was headed. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, Giannis, I, you mentioned Giannis in your lead-in. I, I, I did a lot of, you know, I looked at the regular season before the series and, and how he had had so much success. He scored 80 points in two regular season games. And a lot of it was, uh, you know, they they put the Suns put Aiton on him, but because you almost have to play a center sized guy on him or else he'll power through. But he was killed. He killed Aiton in those two regular season games. He's kind of speeding by him. They were using some screen stuff where Aiton was just kind of lost because he's not used to guarding that type of player. Um, and the question coming into the series, I know me, Sam, and I had it. We all had it. Was like first, like is Giannis even playing in these first couple games? He ends up playing, and I think increasingly over those first two games, even though they lost both, you're like, okay, Giannis is like really looking like himself. Um, and now they have two days. They had two days off before this last game. They have two days off before this next game. At this point. Point, you just got to expect like Giannis is the top level 100% Giannis um, despite that that scary knee injury right. and if that's so I think the regular season even taught us he kind of kills DeAndre Ayton and Phoenix doesn't really have a defensive answer they don't even have the defensive answers that like Miami did in the past where they built a better wall with like waves of of wings I think Mikel Bridges is too thin um, and has to guard Chris Middleton anyway so Giannis is really getting going against this Phoenix team and, and you know, I don't think that maybe fully swings the series to Milwaukee, but it's a problem that I don't know that the Suns can solve. Yeah, and I mean, look, Aiton in Game Three comes out and he has the five fouls. He has to play limited minutes. I think he finished at at, at twenty four, and and it wasn't just Aiton's foul trouble that hurts them. I mean, Dario Saric is is out right now for them after he hurt his knee, and they were worse in the Kaminsky minutes than they would have been had they had Saric out there. I think they they struggled without him. I think his absence was felt and you know that's not the same thing as Kyrie getting hurt but that's that's something that uh that matters. I mean look Giannis was able to really just his ability to get to the paint and finish there was outstand, out, outstanding. Like it was unbelievable. He he was 13 for 13 in the restricted area. Like he was getting there and he was finishing and he was doing it in a bevy of ways. They played him at center a lot. And Slater, you mentioned that with the way they used him as a screener. Part of that was because they were playing him as the biggest guy on the floor for them. Uh, 
he was able to get there off the ball. He was getting there early in the shot clock and they were finding him when he with incredible post positioning. And when Giannis is one foot from the rim, I, I don't I don't care who's guarding him. He is going to score a lot. He, 13 for 13 in the restricted area is with 17 free throws on top of it. Is say, and, and by the way, speaking of magic number 13, 13 of 17 from the line. What? Which 13 of 17 from the line. And that's with a, a handful of Suns fans, like having a smattering of, you know, one, two, three. There was actually counting on, on the home floor. Um, but Sam, yeah, I mean, Sam he, was counting on press row too. <laughs> or me and the Bucks fans were trying to grow past that Slater. Don't bring that up again. It's a sore subject. I'm still getting comments every time I write about their team. Uh, speaking of which, as a quick aside, I didn't help myself at all. My man, my approval rating with, with the Bucks nation is not great. Uh, I write a piece trying to at least capture some of the joy that they felt last night and just completely drop. I'm just going to own this I completely drop the ball when it comes to having some sort of hat tip to the beer culture around here. And, and in my late night kind of absent-mindedness uh, dropped an Anheuser-Busch reference in Which Milwaukee. Which is St. Louis, even <laughs> I know that. <laughs> so shout out, shout out to Milwaukee native Rob Peterson, our uh, esteemed NBA editor, who hits me up and says, hey, brother, um, do you mind if I change that to Miller? Because you kind of missed the mark here. So Rob had my back, and we might have had an edit there. But – but yeah, I was not counting on Giannis's free throws. Um, but I, let's go down the Giannis road a little bit because you know we could we could work around the edges, and there's a lot to talk about there. Drew Holiday, you know, doing a fantastic job against Chris Paul, finding his offense a little bit. Chris Middleton doing just enough, you know, hitting big shots. Um, you know, Cam Johnson's dunk um, not going to be forgotten, but not being the turnaround moment that it seemed like it might have been when it happened. But with Giannis, it, it is really something to see not just in a vacuum but because of the injury that he had suffered um this you know and, and it's one thing if it's media hype where a guy gets hurt and we we talk about how oh he could have been out longer this or that we have already heard from the man himself that he went to bed the night of the injury i uh, i think june 29th um thinking that he was out for a year and thinking that this was you know I'm, the deduction there is that it would have been a torn acl and now he's out here, you know, talking to Associated Press's Brian Mahoney and answering a question about how Michael Jordan had 40 straight, 40 plus, sorry for the noise there, boys, uh, 40 plus Four games. Straight. Four straight. I said 40. That's because Jovan Buha is texting me and it was very distracting. <laughs> Um, 40, four straight, 40 plus games. And, 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 you know, Giannis was quick to say, I, I am not Michael Jordan. I'm not Michael Jordan, but if you're ever having to say you're not Michael, you're, you're still doing something right. Yeah. I mean, he, like you said, he, he was on the ground, not with just him believing that he potentially tore his ACL. I think the entire world did. Did any of us watch that? And like, you know, that, that seems like a weaker, that seems like he'll probably be back in about six days. I mean, he clutched at it. Like it, that was scary. Yeah. Um, and he's currently the, you know, best player in the series. You know, I think Chris Paul's obviously had moments. Devin Booker was good in the first two. What did he go? Three of 14. <clears throat> um, but Giannis is the story of the series. He's the guy that to me, Phoenix has, I think the, the deeper, fuller team. I still think they're the favorite. They have the home court, but the way Giannis is playing as determined as he looks as unguardable as he seems to be from the Phoenix side, he is the player of the series right now. Um, and that's 
crazy considering that I thought he might miss next season. And it sounds like he did too. Doesn't it also, and, and Fred way in here, doesn't it also, I, I feel like we got to add a little context in terms of the Giannis conversation and, you know, the idea and, and fill in the gap here for me. Why am I forgetting who dropped the, you know, what kind of national pundit dropped the Scottie Pippen uh, reference a while back? Was it Richard Jefferson? I think Steven Jackson has said some things. Uh, you know, per- Perk has said him- that too. Perk yeah, has been calling, calling him Robin and, and I Middleton think, I think Batman. RJ, you know, I'll, I'll do a little fact check, make sure I'm not putting something on him that he didn't say. I'm pretty sure RJ did. And, and it's, you know, just that general question and that concept of, you know, two-time MVP, is this guy worthy of, you know, the way that his career had been framed? And, and when you go out and you do things like this that do not happen all that often, it, it certainly seems to answer that question. Yeah, I mean... The crazy part for me is that we all thought there was that he was done at that moment when that knee turned in that ridiculously disgusting direction. And it's it's not just that he's dominated for two games because he was unbelievable in game two. Also, I mean, he was incredible. They did not lose that game because of him. He was amazing in game two. And it's not just it's not just that he's dominated. It's that he's physically dominating. He hasn't randomly caught, you know, fire by Giannis standards and hit three threes in a game or something like that. He's overpowering guys. He is just right. out physicaling a, a, a physical team. Friends and it's making up words. He's so excited. I know. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's it's just incredible. It's incredible to see after his knee turned that way like two weeks ago that he's able to do this in the NBA finals against a really good physical team. For the record, it, it was it was Richard. Again, he wasn't wrong, but he had, you know, he had dropped the Pippin reference talking about Giannis. Yeah, I haven't liked I mean, there's been times in this playoffs. I think we all haven't liked how he was playing or how Milwaukee was playing. I mean, you think about the Nets series. Um, he took eight threes in one game. He took six in another. He was remember the the legendary play where Harden's in the post on him and somebody's coming over to double and Harden's like, nah, I'm good. And uh, and then he shoots the fadeaway and bricks it. I think that was like one of the the lowlights of of one of those losses. And Kevin, you know, we Slater show a little respect for Harden's post defense. We know what he does down there. Yeah, you, you ain't lying. But remember, he shot the post fade and it was like, go through Harden. Why? You oh, know, yeah. Why are you trying yeah. to show off the seventeen? He really footer? does. He's like, I don't know what the good analogy is, man. But like to see him always fighting the temptation to to kind of play with these little basketball toys that he has that, that really should not be played with is, is something it's in and a lot of times it's in big moments where, you know, he just, he had one last night. He, I think in the first half he rimmed out a three and it is what it is, you know, but, but he still is doing that every once in a while. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you think about the net series that I'm mentioning, like, I, I think we all agree. We watched that series and went, well, you know, Giannis is Giannis, but Kevin Durant is a different level of superstar. Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, I'm not, I still think today we probably all believe that, but you know, he has, he, if they There's win levels this title, though, right? Yeah. Slater, like, I mean, Durant, we're saying that in any generation we're putting him on the floor, you know, with Michael saying, damn, Mike's amazing, but Kevin had a night, you know, like that's how good Kevin is on certain nights. And, and so, I mean, you're right. And you could also, I mean, you were the one on this pod going into the series talking about matchup wise, how Giannis had dominated so much against the Suns, uh, and, and that is bared out. I mean, especially once he started getting a little bit healthy, you know, he seems to have his way with this group. 
Yeah, the burst is back. He trusts his yeah. knee again, and, and you know that's when when he has the speed. That's where he's uh, can get by Aiton, and if he can get by Aiton with the speed, he can overpower anybody else on the roster. I remember a few years ago when Shaq was on TNT, they were talking about which current day player reminds Shaq the most of himself, and Shaq said Giannis, and everyone's reaction to that was. <laughs> Was like, what the hell are you talking about? That's crazy. Giannis is a perimeter player. But I get why he said Giannis. Giannis has this ability to be able to say more than maybe any other player in the league. Embiid is in this category. It might just be him and Embiid at the top of the league when you talk about this, where he can just say, you know what? I'm going to go there. And that's where I'm going to shoot from. And I'm going to do it purely on overpowering whoever the hell is in front of me. and. He has this kind of evolution of of Shaq's sort of way, the perimeter version of being able to do that, where if you put a you can put Aiton on him, he's gonna outquick Aiton. Uh, but he's also capable of overpowering a center too. Uh Fred, just I wonder, like, okay, so go back to Slater's Harden moment. And and Giannis has already won two MVPs, he's in the finals, he's doing historic things. But I mean, do you see is there any chance with his game like that he still could add more back to the basket stuff. Cause that's the, the, that's the part obviously where the Shaq comparison falls flat. Giannis is always trying to find a way around you, especially now that the knee is healthy. You're seeing the Euro step again. That's how he's getting around Aiden, but it is wild that he's as great as he is yet. You still can't throw the ball to him on the block. So I think the thing with Giannis, people talk about how he needs a jump shot or he needs a post game or whatever. If I could add one particular type of shot to his game, it would be a fl- it would be a really good floater. That's what I want because then Kareem all style, of a sudden, man, do a little low Kareem style. Well, just when he's on the perimeter and he's Sam going at the basket right now, you know, Sam we hear sweeping hook shots in the lane. I'm in Milwaukee. Exactly. I'm feeling, I'm feeling the local fair. Come on. This is Kareem country. We hear so much about the vaunted wall that teams try to put up against, against Giannis, the defenses try to try to use against him. But like, He'll try to Euro step through that. He'll end up getting caught and throwing up, flailing up these, these, you know, bad looks that, that end up missing at times, or maybe he'll end up settling for jumpers in those moments. But like, if he was, if he's able to combat that with something at the, just in the floater range, the five to 10 feet away on penetrating it, it's going to make the Euro step so much easier to get to the basket. It's going to make him able to get to the basket so much easier because now that's one more thing the defense has to look out for when he's when he's driving to the hoop. So I would add a floater for him yeah. before I'd add any of that other stuff. Well, I mean, I can see that shot particularly working against the Blake Griffins of the world. I mean, remember the success that Blake was having where he was laying way back and he was just like, staying about seven feet from the rim and just kind of bodying Giannis every time he got there. And yeah, if Giannis could just go to nine feet out, Blake Griffin's still going to stay a little bit back and you just, you know, uh, kind of drop that floater. Rashawn Holmes style. Rashawn Holmes. Yeah, there, that Rashawn oh, there Holmes we go. I was There's the Kings. Reference. There we go. <laughs> Pay that man this summer. Pay that man. I mean, if he could also add a, a Robin Lopez hook shot, I mean, you know, no. <laughs> anybody? We're, we're doing like the Transformers thing with Giannis. Like, what could we add to make him even better? <laughs> it is. Um, so, guys, you know how it is when, when you're at the series, when you're there on the road, like you you enjoy not only what's inside the arena, but but seeing the fan experience. Um, I already knew that Giannis was popular in this town. But um, to see it on this stage is just insane. Like you cannot 
last night walking around with with good buddy Jeff Zilgit from USA Today. Jeff said, "Man, he goes, I think about seven out of every ten Bucks jerseys are Giannis jerseys." And I was like, "Brother, like your math is a little off. Like it's nine point five. You know, um, the Giannis jerseys are everywhere." Uh, I saw a Bledsoe jersey the other day, by the way. That was great, um, considering the Suns tie-in and the fact that he played for both teams. But there are, you know, I, I walk into my hotel, first day I get here, there's a chalk painting or you know, a chalk rendition of Giannis on the sidewalk. Um, just randomly somebody decided to, you know, to do a portrayal of Giannis on the sidewalk. There's paintings inside every bar. And the one we were in last night with Vinny Goodwill from from Yahoo Sports and Jeff and I like he is omnipresent, um, and it's it got me thinking back to last summer and the fact that he made that choice to sign the supermax. And the irony is, you know, he's I wrote the other day about how he certainly doesn't love the fame, doesn't love the spotlight, and there's people with the Bucks who think that you know the the, the kind of the off the grid nature of this city is something that actually helped them in that situation because while he's wildly famous here you know, that spotlight doesn't reach as far as it would if he was in a New York or an LA or a Chicago. Um, so, you know, yeah, man, like just seeing, he just owns this town and we always root for the small market stories and, and Fred off air a minute ago, I forget when he said it, but like, you know, Kevin Durant leaving OKC that left a mark on that place. So I, I was walking around last night going, you know, man, I'm happy for the, the Milwaukee folks that he stuck around. Cause they, uh, they enjoy the heck, heck out of this dude. How was uh, the crowd compared to Phoenix, Sam? Because I, you know, I was in Phoenix, and I mean, you, I, that place was about as as jumping as um, it could be. It was very, um, very good. It was very, very loud. It's not as not as not as aggro, uh, if I'm being honest. Um, like they, I'm just gonna lead into it. I'm I'm deciding which fan base, you know, and, and you can go ahead and at me, Suns fans. But like, Suns fans are a little much. They, the vast majority of them are passionate, incredible, having fun. I don't know if it's the heat. I don't know if it's the Suns and four guy that kind of channeled some of the, I think some of the worst parts of, of who we are. Uh, but man, they're, they're a lot. I mean, we, we left game two to get, share a quick story and it was similar where, okay, home team wins. And I left the arena and it was with, with uh, our Bucks beat writer, Eric name. And we're sitting there and, and Melissa Rowland from Fox sports trying to get a lift out of, out of town. And folks are everywhere celebrating, but it's just like, you don't have to be so damn aggressive. That's, I don't know, again, what, what the root of it is, but there was kids. I think, on, it's that's, I think the heat I might have something. To do I'm with serious. It. I mean, it's just, you get delirious in that one time. I'm serious. Like I was telling the, the woman in my lobby here at Milwaukee, we were having this conversation and the, here's the contrast in Milwaukee. They were, you know, they're always miserable in the winter. Now they're going around like, what? I'm sorry, 70 degrees? This is amazing. I love everybody, Suns fans included. You know, it's just a little bit of a different vibe. We come out of that Suns game, and there's like five or six teenagers running around on skateboards, flying up and down the road, screaming at the top of their lungs, Suns in F and 4. And they're, and they're pointing at you. Like, they're pointing at grown folks screaming sons and f and four and i kind of joked with our crew like like if i say sons in five are you gonna come fight me like what do we, you know what are we doing sam here? amick almost got into a fight with bart simpson in phoenix that's, <laughs> that's, that's what we're learning <laughs> that is the perfect characterization bart was for sure flying around screaming sons and f and four 
my favorite part was one of the dudes, uh, he, his skateboard hits the curb. He almost bites it and he barely catches himself. His buddies are still, and I'll be honest, the father in me was watching this going, Oh, good Lord. If my son was ever one of these kids, like I would not be happy, but his, his board hits the curb. He goes flying, catches himself. And my thought is, Oh, you better catch up with your buds, your friends. And instead he turns to the car that is stopped at the stoplight and decides he just needs to let one more sons in four rip. And this like makes it very personal points at the person in the car and it's sons in half and four, you know? So yeah, the movie Sam is, Sam is going after a second fan base in this series. Uh, so now who else would I go after? Him. Well, Sam- the, you were the Anheuser Busch Milwaukee. Fans oh yeah. I know. That, that are <laughs> this all is when, when I get out of my circle, I, you know, I need to spend more time around these teams. No, Just wait most until the Bucks fans, fans catch wind of the of the Bud Light reference in your story. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see what really happens. My NPS is going down very quickly. That's an All athletic right. reference. <clears throat> Eddie, what, what else in this series? I mean, what did you guys see with, with Booker? And, and, you know, Paul, too. But Paul's had, I think, 10 turnovers the last couple of games. I think Drew Holiday, obviously, into I'm it. Gonna, I'm going to make a quick executive decision, Slater, if you guys are okay with it. I feel like, we, we you know, the finals, we're going into game four. We know where it's at. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious to pivot real quick and, and go down the team USA slash warrior slash oh, yeah. wizards road. Um, because there's a lot of stuff going on outside of the finals, even though the spotlight is on this series, uh, team USA has been doing their thing in Vegas and I know they have not been doing their thing in Vegas. So. That is very fair. They, well, by their thing, I mean, losing to a program that had two wins in the history of its existence in Nigeria. So that's what I meant by doing their thing. Talk to me, Slater. Uh, yeah, no, I stumbled into the Shocker Sports Shocker of the weekend the other day. I was actually at that game. Um, you know, it, look, they played defense super lazy. It was the first exhibition game. They, I think, they had practiced Popovich said three or four times before. Uh, before, whereas Mike Brown, who's coaching Nigeria, a very big moment for Mike Brown. Uh, he had had Nigeria's, uh, you know team at a camp for three weeks ago i mean they were clearly the sharper more motivated team this was a huge like you know national stage test for them they came out really physical um gave vincent from you know he played for the heat hit six threes nigeria hit 20 threes in 40 minutes which shows you kind of how team usa was playing defense it was like not really getting over screens floating around and it, it almost seemed like all-star game level energy at times defensively by a bunch of all-stars but still, I mean, that's it, it, it's a shocking result against a Nigerian team that has se- seven other players are NBA, but none of them average more than six points. I think Josh Koji, I think, might have been the leading scorer. Um, so, yeah, um, it's they can still go on and, and, and win the Olympics. I, I still think they're heavy favorites. But, I, you know, it, if you care about international basketball, it was a it was an ominous opening. For uh, for a team, we got we got two quick roads to go down here, but we got to give a shout out and some credit just due to the one and only Mike Brown, uh, and that's right up your alley, Slater. I mean, Mike, you know, um, experienced head coach, had some highs, had some lows, and a, and a guy who obviously has been putting in good work with the Warriors for quite some time now. I remember hearing that that Mike had you know planned on taking this Nigeria job and was super happy for him, did not anticipate this kind of a thing. I know it's just one game, and but you know Mike really well. Like, you know, were you able to glean any kind of substantive Mike Brown influence from watching this group play? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, and I would say that the media situation is a little bit more lax. Like, I was able to sit 
the post game, they let us down and chat with him for a while. But, and, you know, this means a lot to him. Um, he wants, I mean, he looks around and, you know, sees Argentina, Spain, Australia, these non-U.S. teams that um, over the years have become really legitimate on, on the international stage in his point to that is because they have a program where you get guys who are you know from their teenage years you know late teens into their 20s like they always play together every summer in international competition um and he has taken this nigerian job with the expectation of trying to build a program over the next decade really including they uh, apparently have uh like the fifth best player in the country from the age of 16 is nigerian and he was at their camp he's not on this current team he can't really play at that age um but he's already starting to kind of you know get the younger uh talent and in, in, i mean there's there's so much talent across the league that has nigerian roots including you know Giannis uh himself so he's starting to build a legitimacy and if you're talking about just game i, I mean he coached a very good game um you know the the offense was sharp the defense was physical he was you know demanding ball pressure kind of knowing that team usa i don't think wanted to necessarily play a super physical up tempo game to right. start um he even had uh kevin durant was rim like his free throw was about to rim in and one of the centers went up and batted it off the cylinder cuz you can do that international play right uh and then he fouled you know they, they were trying to hold on to the lead late and he did the the twice he had his team foul up three and it never gave Lillard or, or Levine or Durant a chance to to shoot a game winning three so like he really you know he out coached Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr Steve Kerr who is his boss currently um Pop's and got one a of his mentors win. yeah it was uh, it, it, it was a, it was a very good moment because you know we talk about the legitimacy uh, in Nigeria trying to you know uh, stake claim to to that stage a little bit um, that that was huge I mean they were trending on Twitter I mean I know that's like such a modern thing to sure. say but like yeah. that's important Fred uh, correct me if I'm wrong is is the one and only Bradley Beal part of this program. Well, you wouldn't know from watching that Nigeria game. <laughs> ouch, <laughs> ouch. Hopefully Brad's not listening. But okay, so Brad's on this team, and, and we all know that that Brad is somebody who we incessantly and relentlessly talk about as um, the next superstar to be on the move, even though Brad tells everybody who will listen that he doesn't want to be on the move. And But inevitably, when it comes to the national program, you know, this is where superstar pairings get made. So... Is, is Tommy Shepard a little nervous uh, during this time when Brad's out there hanging with a bunch of dudes who would love to bring him to town? The Wizards will never say at all in any capacity that they are nervous about it. But if I were the Wizards, yeah, I'd, I'd be nervous about it. All of these super team origin teams uh, stories start off with Team USA, it feels like. You right. Know, the Le- the LeBron, Bosch, Wade stuff, 2008, Team USA. You know, it just it feels like that. Uh, Sean Hyken from Bleacher Report asked Beal uh, at an availability last week about if there were going to be recruiting pitches and that kind of stuff over at Team USA. And Brad said, I don't know. Probably, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm envisioning we got Brad at one part of the table. We got Damian Lillard at the other you know, there's a there's a competition to get the invite to that dinner because you can only have so many folks on the reservation. But yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, Draymond how- Green will be on that reservation. <laughs> yeah, Draymond Green, if he's not, is just showing up. Draymond oh, Green yeah. will get if he doesn't get on the reservation, he will go to the restaurant, apply for a job as the maitre d. And then make sure that he's seating them. It is wild, yeah. and if, I mean, I think the folks who listen to, the, to our pod are 
probably very well versed in the history here because they're big time basketball fans. But like whether it's, you know, I think Andre Iguodala um, kind of pairing up with Kevin Durant early on. Kevin routinely cited that as the first time that he started thinking about that group. Um, you see it even go the other direction. You know, I was happy for Ime Udoka getting the job in Boston. And, and that had a Team USA ripple effect where he was on the staff that would work with some of the guys who were with the Celtics and establish a rapport, establish a comfort level. And eventually they just decide they want to work together. So it matters a lot. And, you know, I mean, we're having fun with it here, but I, I think it is real. So Slater, I mean, what what do you think um, might come of of this time? I mean, we'll see, but it's, you know, they're spending the next month together in, in a situation where there's, you know, particularly when they get to Tokyo, it's it's a pretty confined, uh, you know, there's not, not going to be fans in the arena. I hear you're very, not really going to be able to leave the hotel much. So, I mean, I assume it's going to be a bunch of just like team meals together in, in their own bubble where, you know, conversation after conversation. I walked into the arena the other night and it's like Steve Kerr is warming up Jason Tatum. Jay Wright is warming up Bradley Beal, Lloyd Pierce is is uh, warming up Bam on a bio, and you know they're sitting there having conversations. And you know, just from a perspective covering the Warriors, I'm like, wow, this is kind of interesting. Steve Kerr's like sitting there, like you know, going through some drills with Jason Tatum, like, and he's going to be doing that for the next month. And you know, I, I even uh, did an interview with Steve that'll be coming out uh, later in the week. It, you know, it's not too deep on like Team USA stuff, but you know, you chat with him a little bit about the players and, you know, he's suddenly gaining fuller appreciation for players. And, and, you know, you might, that could be flip side too. Uh, You know, if they're working with with Steve or Greg Popovich, not that anyone's going to necessarily demand to go to San Antonio right now, but um, that it's, it's just a fact of the last couple of decades that what you guys are talking about. I mean, relationships are formed here. I mean, the, you know, the DeAndre Jordan, uh, Kyrie won. Uh, you can even go back to Iguodala and, and Curry at the World Cup back in what whatever year I think it was, um, which a lot is in a lot of ways credited uh, Durant for starting to think about the Warriors. So um, Draymond Green uh, is not running away from that either. I mean, like he 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 will be vocal. I'm sure about that. Fred, the the part that also matters here though to to swing it back to DC is the Wizards' coaching search and like Bradley Beal's actual current life you know, as a member of the Wizards. So let's break that down. I, last I checked, how many are we down to now? Four? It seems like it, it seems like it's three with Jamal Mosley taking the Orlando job and uh oh, okay. I didn't Ronald deduce Dorian the one. You're right. Yep. Indiana. So so it's it sounds like the ones at least that we know it out, they've been they've kept stuff very, very close to the vest. I'm pretty sure it's only down to three. It's gonna be it's West West Unsell Jr. And Charles Lee and Darvin Ham, Wes Unsell Jr. is with Denver, an assistant there. And then Lee and and Ham are both with the Bucks, which uh, I'm sure has been an extremely hectic process for both those guys coaching a team to the finals. And also like Ham, I got two interviews with with Boston, too. So I'm sure it's been crazy hectic with those guys, too. I know I, we texted about it the other day. I, I ran into Darvin Ham in Phoenix at the Bucks Hotel. Uh, I, I don't know Charles Lee, but I'm going to give our 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 guy, Eric name a little love here. Charles uh, passed a table the other day where Eric and I were sitting and I got it. I got to give Eric credit because Charles Lee respects Eric names, basketball game. He was 
giving him love, saying, man, we got to hit the court again. I remember like, so Charles Lee actually thinks name can hoop. And if you know name at all, he will tell you that he can hoop. So he's not bashful. <laughs> I was at this table as well, Fred. I, I, you know, I don't get a uh, reference. Sorry. I, I got one cup of coffee, Miss Slater. I'm trying to remember every detail. So yes, yeah, Slater, <laughs> Slater was there when, uh, when now I'm going to put name out there. Slater was there when name legitimately said that in transition, that he on trail threes, that he has a, he has quote, unlimited range. And he was not afraid <laughs> oh, to share man. that. <laughs> he did. that. That is something that was said. But yeah, like, so Charles Lee, uh, uh, Darvin Ham, and, and who am I leaving out? Who's the third one? Wes Unsell Jr. Thank you. I mean, Wes, who is history. the name? Yeah, Wes with the history, Wes with the work that he's done in Denver with, uh, you know, his his favorite agent, Michael Malone, always there to, to lift him up, which I've respected. Um, you know, Darvin's got a lot of history with Tommy Shepard. Um, you know, uh, we, again, we text, they've had a lot of folks through there, right? Like I hit you the other day about son's assistant, Kevin Young, who interviewed in the last round and didn't advance, but seemed to do a good job. Uh, Michael Scotto of Hoops Hype had reported that. But um, you think Wes is the name? You think Darvin's the name? You think Charles? What do you think happens next? If I had to guess, I would guess it's either Darvin or Wes. I've heard support for both of those guys. I think there's a lot of respect for Wes because not only is, I mean, look, you win the press conference if yep. you hire Wes Unsell Jr. That's the win the press conference pick. Not to demean his coaching abilities, which are clearly very well respected, but his father is the greatest player, or was the greatest player in the you franchise's have to do history. More. It's okay to do that. You have to do more, though. And I think the point you're making is that's part of it. Um, but, mm-hmm. but that's not all of it by any means. Can I, can I ask something? Yeah. All the, all these names seem like, you know, they could become really good head coaches, but they do seem kind of more like rebuilding hires. Like you get a young guy in and you start, it's, it's the start of a program. And that to me, that makes a bigger question of, you know, Westbrook and Beal, particularly Beal, um, does the priority of the organization turn to maybe looking at trading him and getting a package that's picks, that's young players, that's that's a core to bring in for a young coach and go like, this is us moving forward. We're taking the long term approach instead of, you know, if if you were necessarily trying to appease a Westbrook and a Beal, you might bring in a big name vet coach that's like going for the sixth seed next season. Doesn't I mean you tell me, but that's just the read I have from the outside. No, that's a legit question. I've I've wondered if with this list of coaching candidates, because it's not just the three finalists, every single and maybe there's someone they interviewed we don't know about, but we know about double digit number of candidates that are out there that had at least one interview, and every single one of them has combined for zero days of NBA head coaching experience. They're all guys who have no experience coaching in the NBA at all. And so, yeah, I, I wonder, even as head the coach, Wizards yeah. continue to insist, head coaching experience, yes. Uh, I wonder, even as the Wizards continue to insist, there's no way we're trading Bradley Beal. They're going to build around him. Uh, he is the guy for the future. They're going to offer him the four-year extension they can offer him in October. If not, they're going to re-sign him in, in free agency. That's the plan. They do not want to trade him. Not only do they not want to trade him, they don't even want to engage on trade talks. I wonder that if as they continue to insist on that, if they're not telling themselves a little bit with this list of candidates, uh, look, part of it has to do with money. I don't think they have the budget to where they're going to go out and sign Rick Carlisle. I just they're they're not shelling out that kind of money. And maybe those two things go hand in hand, you know, Um, but but yeah, I mean, look, if you're 
in every other way, they say we're trying to win next season. They want to be as good as they possibly can next season. And sometimes you can hire an assistant coach and that assistant coach can be awesome right off the bat. Uh, and and some of these guys who they're looking at, they're, they're experienced assistant coaches. I mean, Darvin Ham has been, this isn't a Steve Nash sort of thing where he really didn't have very much, you know, he's a former player, but he didn't have very much coaching experience. I mean, Darvin Ham was a, was a head coach in the G League. He's been in player development uh, with the Lakers. He's been an assistant under Bud for years. He was an assistant under him in Atlanta. He's been an assistant under him in Milwaukee. He's he's kind of, he's had basically every hat you can have outside of the front office, inside an organization, except for a head coach. I mean, he's been a player. He's he's cut film. Uh, he's been a head coach in the G League. Uh, so So there's just... The experience for someone like him, the experience for someone like Wes Unsell Jr., who's been an advanced scout and worked in a front office, been an assistant coach for a long time and worked his way up and has been working for an NBA organization since he started with the Wizards like almost 25 years ago. They're they're bringing in experienced assistants. You know, Ronald Norris, the one exception, he's 31 years old, but but he ends up going to Indiana anyway. So so I think they're looking at it in that sense. and, And maybe that's, you know. For lack of a better expression, maybe that's splitting the baby. But I, I do wonder if, uh, yeah, I wonder if they're telling on themselves a little bit because even if the plan is to keep Beal, like they still could find themselves in a rebuild next year if they find out they have to trade him at the deadline or if, you know, this thing goes disastrously, they think they're going to resign him and then he leaves for elsewhere for nothing next, uh, you know, next summer. Do you have any pulse of, you know, I know Brad's away with Team USA, but any pulse of how Brad is feeling about this process? Uh, it's hard to tell. Uh, I, I, they, they've been saying that they're involving him, so, so I think he's been relatively involved in the process. But that said, I, I definitely don't think it's uh, we're going to hire whoever Brad wants, sort of thing. Like it's Slater, definitely not that. Slater, do you think Draymond is just sitting at dinner, just destroying? Darvin Ham and Charles Lee and he's just and going through their resume. Junior. I don't think he would actually do that, but he's he, going through their resumes on Wikipedia <laughs> as Bradley Beal's eating it, you know, whatever John George's steakhouse or something next to him going, wow, huh, no head coaching experience here. Huh? That's interesting. Well, you know, Steve Kerr's uh, three titles, I think, you know, that's interesting. Uh, anyway. And Charles, Charles Lee is up for another job too. I mean, Charles Lee can end up in new Orleans, right? Yeah. That's a possibility also. That's the other open job. And it sounds like it sounds like they really like him. So he could end up going there. And from what I hear about his personality, I feel like he could work there. He's like this very He must be a nice guy if he's of being very compliments to Eric Name. <laughs> well, he's got this rep of being I did a piece last week where I spoke to people who have worked very closely with all the candidates who are finalists for the Wizards job. And the thing that everyone says about Charles Lee. The first thing is that he's like the most gregarious, most outgoing person in the room in any given moment. Sure. Sure. Gentlemen, good stuff. Um, I'm going to end with this. First of all, um, Fred, you had the honor of of working very closely with DA and and continued to do so in a somewhat adjusted capacity. But um, I've worked with David a long time. He rolls into town for game three. My favorite, I didn't even tell him that I, I happened to observe this, so I'm just sharing it on the pod, which is okay. Um, DA's on press row, and, you know, he's locked in on the game. He ends up writing a really good column. 
the thing that cracked me up was I happened to glance over his shoulder at his screen on his laptop. The man solves New York Times crossword puzzles during NBA Finals games. I, I, there's something about that that I loved. It was like, man, that's a good headspace to be in. You're you're kind of like you're finding your peace within all the basketball chaos. And so it was good to see D.A. Um, and then to tie a kind of a bow on my lack of Milwaukee local knowledge. In my defense, I just noticed this right now. I glance out the window across the Milwaukee River and I see staring in front of me again. Somehow I didn't notice this. Maybe it was subconscious. A gigantic Budweiser sign. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so maybe Anheuser-Busch just creeped into my head, and that was why I messed it up. It's got to say presented by Sam Amick before is, game four. Right. Budweiser, what does it say? Arts performing. It's very old sign. So that's that's my only out here. Guys, good stuff. Uh, Fred, I promise we'll go a few weeks without asking you if Brad's getting traded. Slater, uh, good luck in your continued job of having 17 different beats to cover. And uh, appreciate you guys. Talk to you next week.